Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. So when was the last time you saw someone fence or sword fight? Because if you think about it, it was likely not in real life, right? But in a movie like The Prince's Bride or The Mask of Zorro, for me, it was The Parent Trap. And I was so obsessed with the fencing scene in that movie that I actually signed up for fencing lessons because in 1999, I wanted to grow up to be exactly like Lindsay Lohan. But I digress. Our guest today is Miles Chamley Watson, who is the first to admit that he doesn't exactly fit the stereotypical fencer, which is, in his words, nerdy, white, and socially awkward. Miles is six foot four, biracial, covered in tattoos, and in the words of my grandma Charlotte, a real looker. He was born in London and moved to New York when he was nine. And Miles ended up turning to fencing because he was this rambunctious, troublemaking kind of kid. And fencing was kind of his outlet to deal with his energy and help him with his ADHD. This is something that I can actually relate to too because I turned to soccer for the exact same reason. Anyway, by 15, Miles was number one in the country and then the first ever American to win the World Fencing Championship. He's also competed in the Olympics twice and even won a medal at the Rio Games. So one of his main missions is to make fencing mainstream. Because if you think about it, if Miles was as proficient as he is in fencing in like any other sport, tennis, football, soccer, basketball, it would be a different game, right? And Miles knows that, which is why he founded the Chamley Watson Foundation, which helps others to grow the sport and change the game, aka make fencing less niche. So before we get to our conversation, I just want to clarify something quick that you're going to hear in our episode. At one point, Miles reads an Instagram DM and in the message, the sender refers to Miles's fencing mask, which is customized with the words, Black Lives Matter. So that's what we're talking about when we refer to, quote unquote, his mask. If you're confused, that's for sure on me. I promise it will make more sense in context. Miles was in Tulum when we spoke, which is where I would have loved to be, but alas, separated by an ocean. Actually, two oceans because I was in Berlin. Anyway, here it is, my conversation with Miles Chamley Watson. I don't want to brag, but I fenced for three months as a teenager. What? I did. I did. My inspiration was the cultural phenomenon called the parent trap. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) And I'm sorry. I honestly saw that movie. I thought fencing was the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like this fencing scene in the parent trap? I'm sure you get that a lot. Oh my God. Yeah, and Anna Sachs only opened once. (laughs) And I was like, hey. Who, Lindsay Lohan? Yep. No. How did that encounter happen? I was sitting on uh, Turkish Airlines. We are going from New York to Turkey. We were going to Venice. And I guess (laughs) I was in like 3A and she was in 3 but her assistant was next to me, but then she'd switch to sit next to me. Don't know why. 
some but, flirtation going on. Yeah, she probably sensed that I was a fencer. But we talked about the parent trap and it was funny. <laughs> what was that conversation? I would have died to be a fly on the wall. Well, she actually fenced at my, she trained for at my fencing club. No. Which is so random. In New York? Um, yeah. Yeah, in New York. The fencing club in New York on 28th yeah. Street at the time. And That's where I fenced. Are you kidding me? So you... Yeah, yeah. I mean, for three months, like literally miles, three months. This isn't... <laughs> This wow. Like some. That was like my, I definitely, I feel like if we went back in time. We've definitely seen each other multiple times about you. Probably. I mean, was I was mad. the girl, I was the girl. You can really see my face because of the helmet. So, you know, um, happens. But yeah, so with that, we talked about it. And she's like, oh my God, it's amazing. Let's keep in touch. But no. Didn't happen. <laughs> When's the first time you remember seeing fencing? Oh, it's Bruce Lee. Like on some YouTube video, and I saw I got Bruce Lee tattooed on my leg. Uh, really? It was, yeah, it was Bruce Lee, and then I think it was maybe Princess Bride or Zora, one of those. Hmm. And when you saw that, is that around the time when you started fencing yourself? Like, did that have any sort of inspiring? Yeah. So I actually started fencing. Um, when I moved from London to New York, I was kind of a bad kid. <laughs> and I got kicked out of the first school. What tricks I, were you up to? Just like, you know, get into a little bit of scuffles, couldn't sit still, talking out of turn, ants in my pants. That school didn't work out. Went to a public school after that. And then my mother met this woman who worked in the admissions program in a private school in New York. I was like, all right, Miles can maybe get a, a grant if he does well. Obviously, I crushed the interview with my charm. <sighs> And then as a punishment, <laughs> every day from 3 to 4.30, I had to pick up tennis, fencing, or badminton. And I was like, oh, what swords are fun. Let's do it. And then I was like, wait, this is incredible. I love fencing. And then that was it. And then I just fell in love with the sport. And uh, I started to slowly get better in school as I was like dedicating more time to fencing. And then um, kind of that was it for me. The rest is history. I read this quote from you somewhere where you said, fencing is my Ritalin. And as a heavily Ritalined out child myself, <laughs> hearing that was catnip to me. Do you have oh. any backstory with ADHD or? Oh my God, I'm ADHD, ADD, dyslexic, all that. Give it all to me. Uh, mm, a just cocktail. as a kid, I just couldn't say, yeah, exactly. Give me an ADD cocktail. <laughs> uh, that thing. But... I think as a kid, right, the first instinct is like, give your kid Adderall, Ritalin, um, I think Meditate or whatever the other one is. And they tried to get me to take it. And I was like, no. So then I, I took it one time. I couldn't even stand up. It was the worst feeling ever. Awful feeling, right? It was terrible. What happened to you when you took it? I remember being like really weak. Couldn't stand up. That's crazy. Like, I was like a tranquilizer. It was terrible. I hated it. Yeah, I'm with you. I hated it. I took Ritalin and Adderall and Concerta and Paxil and fucking everything under the sun when I was little. And um, I just remember losing my... I, I just totally lost my personality. But I guess you took it once and then decided that that was it and you never took it again. Ever. They tried to take it and I said, no. I said, literally, you've got a better chance than anything else, but I'm not taking this. So fuck off. Yeah. And then... uh 
I just started fencing more, and then I, that was my Ritalin. I literally just grew out of it. Wow. Yeah. And what about fencing helped you focus? Or in what way was it your Ritalin? I think just the intimacy of it, like just the one-on-one, um, you have to think, you know, it's like a little dance, it's an art. And I think that's what I love. Mm-hmm. I was so drawn to it was that aspect to it. So it was quite a love, it was quite an easy love at first sight for me. And yeah, it honestly saved my life, fencing, for sure. When did you know that fencing was more than an extracurricular? Uh, I think I was uh, 14 and I won the Junior Olympics. And this woman named Ellen Grayson, who changed my life, she's like, mm-hmm. you need to become an American citizen. You can make the Olympics. And I was like, huh? Olympia. And then I was like, really? So I got my American citizenship. And I, that's when I knew, like, this is something, this is my way out. Because there wasn't, a, like, a person that could be like, oh, I want to be like this out? person. Like, to be successful, to, 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 to make money, to, you know, take care of my family. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was what I meant by the way out. It's just, you know, do something bigger than just for myself. And uh, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, mom, I'm going to be the first ever millionaire fencer. <laughs> she was like, son, come on. Uh, and it wasn't even about the money, but it was just like, I wanted to prove a point. Uh, what was that? That it was possible to be the first, right? Mm. And it sounds like such a crazy far-fetched thing, but... You know, <laughs> look at where I am today. Uh, and that's kind of just why I have like, the self-belief tattoo. Because that's all you need. Is that's, that's all you need. Like, obviously, your, your parents are amazing, but like, it's all, it comes from you. So that's why um, I think it's so important to just be living yourself. Just going back to your parents for a second, you're number one in the country at 15, correct? Yeah. You're pro-athlete living with your parents, what did their support look like? Like, were they driving you to matches? Yeah. Or was this kind of your own navigation? No, my mom would travel with me all the time. We'd take the train, drive. So my mom was incredible. Uh, I don't think she really realized the magnitude of where I'd be, but I think she doesn't support her son. Um, mm-hmm. And I never forget those, those drives from like New York to Connecticut in the middle of the night to... New Jersey to Florida, you know, and then we ended up flying. So wow. they were very supportive, which um very supportive in that way. Obviously they were like, you need to go to college and do something else. But I was like, no, I'm not. Um, I'm not doing that. But I went to college for a year, but was I just wanted to do it for the experience. But I knew I wasn't gonna need a desk job because I got street smarts. And I'll figure it out. I'm fascinated by the psychology of a one-on-one combat sport. And I'm curious kind of how you prepare for a match because, for instance, like I need one hour of mental downtime before I record this podcast. And if you had called and been like, hey, could we do this an hour earlier? I would have like plunged into a mental spiral (sighs) because I need that one hour of just mental prep time. And it's not even like I even use it for anything. I just need it. Do you also yeah. need this pre-match mental prep time as well? Um, I think I've unlocked the mind in a way where I can adapt. And if something changes, I can just quickly switch on. But I know exactly what you mean. Preparation is key. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I need that anymore because I've just practiced so much. And my repetition is just like second nature. So 
I used to have like all this crazy like ritual and stick a bath before I competed every day. I used to do all these things. And a superstition <laughs> to me is something, something that you did once that, that worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I don't really have any anymore. When did you stop the superstitions? I think after my first Olympics in London. I was like, I'm, I'm thinking too much. I need to just be me, be present in the moment and just like be crazy. And and then that's when I was first American to become world champion. That's when my life really changed for me after the first Olympics. And what was it about the Olympics that led you to this eureka moment of like, fuck the superstitions? Because I was like so regimented and I like put so much pressure on myself and I got mm. fourth at my Olympics. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to be free and like not do this. And that's when I won more championships the next year. And I was like going crazy. I had a I had a Heineken beer before I fenced. I'll never forget that moment. My coach was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I don't know. I feel like it." And then I won. I smoked everyone. Wait, wait, wait. Was this this was the second? This is the 2016 Rio that you had a beer before you fenced. No, this is 2013 World Championships. I had a beer before I fenced in Rio. I had a beer as well. That is so fucking brilliant and yeah. so inspirational. It's crazy. It's crazy. I get so nervous before I record an episode. And I also did superstitions where I would only wear red because I had one good episode where I wore a red shirt. Like my third episode, I just nailed it. I wasn't nervous and I wore a red shirt. So if you see video for the next like four episodes, I'm always wearing a red shirt until I did a shit recording in the famous lucky red shirt. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. And now I, now I'm in, I'm in rainbow. Did you ever have something as well with like your clothing or anything? Yes, I have this one thing that that doesn't change well. Every exhibition, my outfit has to be brand new. Why? Tell me more. I love how fresh it looks. I love, like, uh, I just love a white, fresh outfit. So that's my only thing, but it's just like how it looks. But um, no, I mean, I'm pretty organized. I have, like, all my stuff laid out for me, but, you know, like, I I can, I like it when things get a little fucked up and you gotta, like, adapt, you know? Because I don't know if you guys, one time I was flying to Egypt. And so if you're top 16 in the world, you get to skip the preliminary the first day. So the competition's on Friday's preliminary, Saturday's direct elimination, which is the and then Sunday's the team event. Me being crazy miles. And you're talking about the world championship, right? Yeah. Okay. So me being crazy miles decided to just fly in on the day of the the preliminary, which people fly in two days before. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) fuck it. I don't know why I did it. I had something to do. And I arrived and someone freaked out on the airplane. Just of an emergency landing in Greece. She was had like uh, freak out. And I was like, oh my God. So I got to the competition the day before I fenced at 4 a.m. And I was like, fuck. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. So I decided to not sleep. I had to wake up at like 7 a.m. Didn't sleep. Just watched um, uh, The Lost Samurai, I think. What movie? Stayed up. Okay, for Inspo. Inspo, I get it. Yeah. Thematic. And I won. Are you shitting me? No. I have never been so, like, tired in my life. But once you reach this level of just, like, you're in it, there's no excuses. So adrenaline kicks in. Right? I could have been like, oh, man, I'm going to, like, oh, if I, I sh- if, if, if I don't do well, it's okay. You know? I was like, no, fuck that. I'm like, people thought I was crazy. Like, no one of my teammates saw me, like, at all. My coach said, like, what the fuck are you? I was like, um, arriving in the airport in the hotel now. I'm in Mykonos, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in Mykonos having a couple of drinks. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. 
<laughs> I never forget that day. It was crazy. So it's wild. The mind is powerful. I've had similar moments like that where you do things that you would think would require a good night's rest, an exorbitant amount of energy, and you do them better than if you had those things, right? Like if you were yeah. mega prepared. It's actually called hysterical strength, which is when you find this strength. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like you find this strength that is so superhuman and so beyond you to carry out things in a way that you wouldn't think have been possible. So you seem to be a, a man channeling hysterical strength. I love that. I've never heard that before. Do you get any pre-match anxiety or anything like that? No. I just go in every competition like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. I, and I'm like now so in tune with my mind. I'm just like, I'm like, me and my coach are like smiling, having, getting thrown gummy bears into those mouths, like just having a good old laugh. Everybody's so serious. It's like a movie. Here's another good story. Give it to me. In 2013 World Championship, when I won, I got offered a million euros to lose, by the way. Um, wait, but, wait, 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 sorry. You got offered a million euros to lose the world championship? To a Russian, yeah. Who was offering you this? He's, he's worth $32 billion, but he's the president of our fencing coach. He owns it all. And he offered you money to lose. To my coach, yeah. And then my coach ripped it up in my face, yeah. I was like, no. And at that time, I was like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's fucking great. It still is now. Yeah. I was like, no, what if I lose anyway? And then I got second and no money. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't do like that. But uh, but I was like, fuck it. I was like, yeah. I was like, I could never lose myself ever if I just got second. Because becoming, being world champion is the coolest thing. No one's ever done it in my history of my sport in America. So uh, this Russian guy, Akbar Kuzin, he's taking lessons with his coach, like our lessons before. I'm sitting there playing, uh, I think it was Fruit Ninja on my phone. Like, not even warming up, just sitting there. And everyone's looking like I'm crazy. I'm just having, and my coach is like, you're ready. And I was so out of, I didn't even know what was going on. Playing a video game on my phone. And I beat him 15 to 6 in like a minute. That was the power of the mind. Like, he's overthinking it. Like, we're already here. Why are you taking another lesson? Like, this is not going to change anything. I mean, between Heineken and Fruit Ninja... Exactly. You mentioned that the London Olympics is when you were like, fuck it, after it. Yes. When you changed the way that you approached it. Um, before, what was your approach? I was way more regimented. I like would think a lot more. I watched video than that before. And I was just like overloading my brain. So I got there and I wasn't being free. I was just so systematic. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to be like, let's back out a little bit on that and just kind of learn uh, what to do with yourself and then just, you know, because you're learning this process. And as you get older, I think you learn more about what you like and what you don't like. And I think what I didn't like was me being so regimented um, and what I did like is being more free. So you'd watch videos of fencing before you fenced the night before? Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly, yeah. Now I never do. Yeah, that's a lot of fencing. Never. I watch like a movie. Yeah, and my coach was always like, I want you to wake up and then think of fencing. But the night before, don't, Think about it. Go hang out with your friends. Go watch movies. Go to dinner. You know? I was like, yeah. Yeah. So I need. Because otherwise your mind just gets so caught up in this stuff. Yeah. Was there ever a time 
in your fencing tenure where you felt like giving up or was there a time that you came close to it? Uh, there was actually never a time ever. ever. Uh, I don't have that in me and I never really thought about giving up. I don't have any negative thoughts. So not really. Never. You don't have negative thoughts. Not really. Ever. I, I like don't believe this. This is this is you're truly an anomaly. Well, I, I was meant to be an, an anomaly, never a statistic. Okay. Uh, All right. Oh, he went there. But but I never Well no, I don't I mean not really negative thoughts, no. I mean like negative like, oh if I lose, but like no, never really negative thoughts. If I have any, I try and change them to positive ones right away. How do you do that? Just think about something beautiful. Like what? Like being on top of the podium, gold medal, or traveling the world, or like butterflies, I don't know. In German, we call them Schmetterling. How sexy is that? That is a nice word. Are you German? No, I'm not. I just live here. Where are you? I'm I'm in Berlin. Why would you live there? I just fell in love with the city. It confused me and I actually didn't love it. It was like the one city in Europe I really didn't love. And I was so intrigued by my disdain for it. And I was confused by it. So I moved here. I know it sounds like really masochistic, but it's the truth. Yeah, It is the craziest place I've ever been to in my life. Are you getting in a lot of trouble here? Oh my God. Yeah, I shot this campaign there and I was there for a week. And I went to all the places you know. Yeah. Burkheim, Kit Kat, all the spots. Yeah, yeah. You did the rounds, shall we say. Yeah, crazy place. After a match, the spectators go home, the match is over for them. Is it over for you or do you review and replay the match in your head after? Uh, No, I completely like forget about it. I don't even want to talk about it. I have some drinks with my coach or have some amazing dinner, Mm -hmm. some good wine. Sounds fun. Yeah, we just talk about like, you know, super stuff of how the day went, how do you feel? And then like when we get back home, we'll watch a video of each match. But for the most part, like, um, and this is the best thing that anyone's ever told me. Kobe Bryant told this at the Olympics. And it's the best athletes have the shortest memory. So if you mm-hmm. win, you forget about it. If you lose, you forget about it. And I think that's such a powerful thing. Uh, and it keeps you hungry all the time. Kobe Bryant actually said that to you? At the Olympics in 2012, yeah, when I was getting my uh, ice back. And he just like came over and... Yeah, so he was like, I think they were getting some... I don't know what they were doing. They were getting some PT done. Mm-hmm. at house. And uh, I just remember like sitting there and I was a little sad like at fourth. And he was, I don't know why. Or I knew Carmelo and I don't know why. I knew someone on the team and then he, and then he came over and just told me this. I was like, wow. And then we got drunk like after we, after he won, I, I we took the train to the club with him and he was drinking champagne. Oh, it was such a, I remember this night, it was so good. Tell me. We took a train from the village to the club because it was so much traffic. And he was like, yeah, take the train. We all just took the tube and I'm from London, so I knew how to get there. And it was like uh-huh. me, Mello, Kobe. I think LeBron was with us, I'm not sure. Uh, so low-key crew of random people. Got it. And me and the, my teammates, I went to this beach by Dre party and my teammates hated me. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm living life. I don't want to hang out with you guys. I've been with you guys three weeks you know and I'm hanging out with other people I want to be with the people that drink a beer before the match oh and the funniest part is it was the Heineken sponsored play <laughs> that's really funny my life is full circle you've talked about the stereotypical fencer you said nerdy white socially awkward which also sounds like 
you're describing me, to be honest. No. But no, no, <laughs> I'm no, kidding. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. My teammates got so mad at me for that. And I was like, I'm not talking about you. About, like, that's the stereotype stigma of what people think the sport is. They were like trying to cancel me, as they say nowadays. <laughs> and I was like, you're going to have to try harder than that. <laughs> what, what conflicts have you faced in your fencing career because you don't fit into that stereotype? Oh my God, so many. I mean, I never forget the first time I was trying to make my world championship team. I was 15, and this guy gave me seven red cards. And it was for sure because I was black. He didn't want me to be on the team. 100%. Because there's no other reason why I would get red cards. Like, I wasn't covering target. I wasn't being rude. That's fucking mental. And I will never forget that day because he sees me now, still. Still. And he's like, Miles. I'm like, you don't even get to speak to me, mate. You don't even get to talk mm. to me. Like, I could have been so... I could have blown his whole career up. I'm like, no, it's the point move on mm-hmm. yeah and then now that i'm you know people know who i am a lot now so it comes with a lot of flack and people like talk shit about you and people love that you're doing this for the sport so i get loads of of um backlash but it's it's i love it i embrace it all <laughs> yeah but i get messages all the time from people like, oh you know like this that and it's like mate we're never gonna have contact with each other so you're just wasting your fingers but like what will they say Wanna read some dms right now only if you feel comfortable here Listen, I'm I'm a free bird. Oh, so many messages. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Got a lot today. Oh, blowing up. Uh, oh, hey, monkey. All lives matter, not black ones. That was one. Are you fucking kidding me? No, because I posted this thing I mentioned about... Uh, yeah, I saw it. It was super sexy with the mask. Yeah, and I had my sponsors make it. And yeah, I got so many of those. People hate them all the time. It's... Uh, endless insane i don't have the time to just talk to them i'm like okay i got it and i think it it, as you get more known it's gonna get worse because you appeal to now the world not just the fencing community Mm -hmm. and i've always been a vocal person because there's not many people in my sport that look like me and do well but uh you know maybe bigger than the sport but i still want to take the sport with me because it's changed my life so i want to give back but i also want to invite a new audience into the sport. That's why we launched our foundation as well, to do that. You were 20 when you went to the Olympics in 2012, and then you got Mm -hmm. medals in Rio. Yes. Right? Yeah. Was the Olympics like one big summer camp? I mean, you have all these like young, hot people cooped up. I mean, you hear stories. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... For sure, it's that all the stories you heard are true. Especially in Rio, it's like all way more like energy-driven country. But uh, for sure, yeah, it's it's amazing because you have athletes that have been working their life for this, and then once they're done, they go crazy, like party, and, and you meet some cool people there for sure. Um, and I met some great people at, at the Olympics in 2016, 2012, and then this Olympics, unfortunately, I got injured. Um, but you know, no excuses. Wasn't meant to be, and I'm gonna miss. Any Olympics. God, it was this one that no fans can go to. So, uh, And then Paris 2024. I'm ready for that. What injury did you get? I broke my kneecap. I got hit in the kneecap in competition. How did that happen? Just I lunged and someone ducked and it went like... And I couldn't do anything for two months. So I missed two, two competitions. Fuck. So how long before you had to qualify did this happen? Well, I had to skip two qualifiers. So... Ah... Uh... Okay. Yeah. You know, but it's all part of the story. 
I was just going through life, just crushing, and it was so easy. You wouldn't have any moments to, to really create greatness. So that's so why I looked at everything as positive. That's why I got the tattoo in my hand. It's never a loss. It's always a lesson. You just learn. Yeah. People are like, why are you so happy about it? I was like, what am I going to do? Just be miserable in my room? Yeah. No, like, good luck to them. And I'll be ready. Totally. So... And as you've seen, I mean, Olympians and athletes are being so open about mental health, especially in Tokyo this year between Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles. I mean, it's been pretty powerful, honestly, like as a spectator. Beautiful. Yeah. And I know Simone, met her a couple of times, amazing human. Mm. And uh, she's been through a lot. Like she's been through so much and no one on the outside knows what she's going through. So don't judge her. Yeah. But... I think what she did was incredible. It's bigger than any medal. And I'm so proud of her. I always support her. And uh, she's an amazing human. So I just always want to be supportive for her because she has a lot to take on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Simone Biles is like nothing short of a literal hero for me. You know, hearing the the thoughts of athletes, which we never really hear. Like all we see are the the podium with the medals and the ceremonies, like we never actually hear the inner dialogue, which is so powerful when you actually do. Cause I'm like, oh my God, these people are actually human. Cause I absolutely like deify athletes. Like I'm like, your body does something that is so beyond my human mortal comprehension, (laughs) you know? So the idea that she comes out and she's so open is like, holy shit, if you... You know, if you have issues like this, like from pressure, like, oh my God, you are human, you know? Yeah, I think it just makes like exact great point. Like she's seen as such a fairy tale angel that has no emotion. She's just a robot. She's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a health real thing. And it's a very hard topic because people, some people think it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Did the pressure ever affect your mental health at all? Yeah, I think it does for sure. And I'm always a very happy person. But I think, you know, even I get those days, I'm like, oh... You know, I think a lot of my mind, I should, what should have done. And yeah, you get overwhelmed a little bit and you've got to just reset. You know, maybe I can re- recover quicker than most people, whatever. But we all seem to have a little mental battle, which is normal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think understanding that it's normal to feel like, like this way is how we grow through this. So, yeah, you got friends around you, coaches. And I deal with that stuff by being able to train and fence because that's like how I'm my best. Mm-hmm. What? Was your biggest mental health crisis, if you had one, during fencing? Uh, I'd probably say, like, not living up to my own potential. Maybe, one like, that was one where I was, like, eating myself alive, thinking, like, what if I, you know? And thinking, or give myself a time clock and, like, getting anxious about it. And then that's probably the biggest one for me. And I was like, dude, relax. We're going to work out how it's supposed to work out. But, yeah, I had a, that was one of them. How do you recover from that? Like, how do you, like, when you don't place as high as you'd want, how do you recover? You just assess it and you go back and you go back to training. That's the beauty about sports that you can always redeem yourself, always. And so I always looked at it like as like another opportunity to, to get better. Uh, and if I do the same thing I did last time better, then I should have a better result. You've mentioned that fencing is still such a niche sport, right? I mean, you are literally the only fencer that I know. And what I'm sure must be frustrating is that if you were the level that you are now in a mainstream sport, 
it would be a whole different story, right? Yes. To some extent. A whole different story. But what I love about it is that's what you'd want me to do. Or that's what it looks like I should do. <laughs> play in the NBA, play football. But I'm not. So in a weird way, I'm so happy that I'm not one of those people. But I also know that I have the ability to be bigger than them. Because my sport is so small. How do you plan on making it a household sport? Well, I think I'm going to work with the FIE, which is like our version of, say, FIFA, on uh, ways to make it more TP-friendly. And they're also um, launching some competitions with Red Bull, one of my sponsors, to uh, put it on primetime television. And then we're just going to grow. But I have some really good ideas. Um, One of them is creating a video game that I'm working on to kind of get a new audience in, which I think is like the best Mm -hmm. way to get a new jump and like leap into just something else and not just like these mainstream sports. So that's my goal. But we've got so many ways to do it. And uh, it's fun to be the first to do all this stuff. Like, it's, it's really, I like it a lot. Miles, I want to pitch an idea to you. Fire away. So I think you need to get the entire generation of girls like me who grew up on the parent trap. And yeah. you need to open a club that caters to us because there are so many of us out there that wanted to be Done. Lindsay Lohan. I have this crazy idea that I'm going to do. I'll tell you now. Uh, we're going to shoot it soon, but I'm going to reenact every single famous fencing scene as me. Brilliant. But I want to get the cameos of all the people originally. So like Lindsay Lohan, oh Inigo Montoya, Antonio Banderas. I want to get uh, Cassandra Jones and Zorro. Yeah. So it's going to be sick. It. Everybody relates to them. So I'm yeah. Like, that's all. Oh, this is bird here. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and I'm going to open a club for all you lovely ladies out there. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We'll we'll definitely we'll be there. Yeah, you have a wine bar. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm gonna put a fencing club too, where you can like leave you, jump, jump, jump your kids off. And you can take a class as well. But also there's a bar for you too. I love that. Like a, a pre-fence cocktail. I'm fully on board. Exactly. Last question, and then I will let you get back to your Tulum life. No worries. It's been a pleasure. What drives you? What drives me is Never wasting my talent. That's why I get up every day. Knowing that if I don't wake up and maximize each day, I'm not living up to my own potential. And that drives me like a fucking bullet train. And I'm just driven off of just anything. I get inspired by like just looking outside. Look at these trees. They haven't timed their life. Just blowing in the wind. <laughs> I just get inspired by just life. But I think I always hated wasted talent. <laughs> and that's one thing that drives me is just like living up to my own potential. And just being me at all times. That, my friends, was Miles Chamley Watson. You can follow him on Instagram at Fencer. And you can follow me at the infinitely less cool at Gillian Sagansky. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode and all episodes. So DM me comments and questions. And in the meantime, I'm going to go drink a beer and see if it helps me win a sword fight. Until next time.